So now that you're in 1 Samuel chapter 18, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask that he would speak to us as we look at the character of Saul and also of Jonathan and David this evening. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we come hungry for you to speak to us, to feed us, Father. We pray that we would see you in a greater light, to have a greater perspective of you. As we have sang in worship that, uh, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here, that we would be more aware of your presence. Father, would you truly send your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in truth? I'm sure it's been a busy week, a trying week, a joyous week. We put that all at your feet and just pray for real clarity from your word, that you would bring out the things that you want us to see and understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This chapter really is a character study. We've got the character of Saul. We've got the character of his son, Jonathan, as we've entitled this series, Kings and Sons. There's a real contrast between Saul and his son, Jonathan, but we also see David. I think that you're going to experience things in your own character as you look at the character of these three men. And it's very telling for us as we study the scriptures. God's revealing things in our hearts and our lives that he wants us to respond to. I think there's a little bit of Saul in all of us, unfortunately. Saul is a man who's given over to the flesh. He's drifted away from God. And by the time that we get to chapter 18, he goes off the hook. He literally goes homicidal in this chapter. He's filled with anger and pride and everything that you can imagine. And it's difficult for us to consider what aspects of my character are similar to Saul. But then we find this man, Jonathan, his son, who is so other-centered. He's laying down his position so David can be the new king. In all of this craziness and opposition, David is consistent as a young man. He behaves wisely. He behaves wisely. He behaves wisely, and God is going to use that. So look for that nugget. Look for that challenge in your own character as we go through this chapter. Goliath has just been defeated. God's won this great victory through this young shepherd boy, and it's a continuation of that in verse 1. Now, when he'd finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. David had got done talking with Saul. Jonathan's listening. Jonathan has just seen David step up to Goliath, this great victory, and he goes, that's a young man I like. That's a young man I can hang out with. That's a young man that I want to get behind. If you remember from a few chapters prior, Jonathan goes to his armor bearer and he says, let's go up to fight that garrison. Let's climb that rock face and see if God will do a work. So Jonathan and David both had the same heart. They both saw things through the eyes of faith, and Jonathan chooses to say, I'm going to make a lifelong friend out of this young man, David. And he says he loves him as his own soul. And the idea here that we find in Jonathan is that he's esteeming David better than himself. We are created by God to care for our own soul. Jesus taught us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves because we care for ourselves. I'm really good at making sure I get coffee in the morning. It is agenda number one if Eric's going to function at all. Make sure I brew it, make sure that I have it. That's what, what comes to mind. 
I make sure that I eat at least three times a day, if, if not more. About nine o'clock tonight is going to be snack time, and that comes every evening, and I either give in to it or say no, but I'm good at caring for myself, and so that's the idea, is you care for others the way that you already care for your own soul, and Jonathan, he chooses to do that for David, and this is a wonderful example of friendship. Wonderful example of friendship. And you need to choose carefully who's in the inner circle of your life, who you're going to bond to in this way. There's only going to be a few people that you're going to travel through life together, and you want it to be someone who's like-minded. You want it to be someone who sees things through the eyes of faith, that believes that God can defeat the Goliaths in our lives. In verse 2, Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. So no more David going back to check on the sheep. Now that he has defeated Goliath, Saul says, you're going to stay and you're going to serve with me. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. A covenant is a binding contract that we see throughout Scripture This wasn't a a wish or a whim or a maybe or I'm committed to you. It was a covenant that was based on a commitment that says, no matter what in my life, I'm going to honor this. There were times in the Old Testament that there would be a blood covenant. There's still some of that that takes place in the Middle Eastern culture. And the idea is if I were to break this contract, you could take my life. And these guys, even though it seems that they've just met, They're taking their friendship very seriously and their commitment to one another to support each other in the Lord. And we would all love to have a Jonathan in our lives, if we're honest, wouldn't we? To have someone that's in our corner, thick or thin, that says, I see God's hand upon your life. I see you're a person of faith. I'm going to walk with you. But God may be calling us to be the Jonathan. He may be calling us to, to look around and look for the David Look for someone who's younger. Jonathan was older than than David, most likely, as we look at this. Jonathan's already a proven warrior at at this point. He could have easily seen David as as a threat, but instead he says, I'm going to choose to commit myself to this person. If we want friends, we've got to be friendly, and that's what the Proverbs tell us. And that's hard for us, even as adults. We go, I want everybody to come to me. I want them to reach out to me. And all of a sudden, there's a lot of me, isn't there? And God says, man, if you want friends, then you be friendly. Even in this church family, you look around and you go, wow, they're here every Saturday night. I watch them worship. I watch them bring their Bible. I watch the way they interact with people. They love the Lord. That seems like it would be a great friend for me and my family. I'm going to reach out to them. I'm going to invite them over to the house. Let's let's get together and watch the the football game together. Let's have a, a meal together. And Jonathan's the one who's pursuing David in this way, and there's a lifelong friendship. Now, if you're blessed to have a Jonathan in your life, a David in your life, that you're traveling through life together, would you just thank the Lord for them right now in your heart? They're coming to your mind. They're coming to your heart and say, God, just thank you. Thank you for bringing them into my life. They've been a faithful friend to me. We go into verse four, and this is fascinating. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. Why is this so significant? Because what Jonathan is acknowledging is, David, you're going to be the next king. 
This is clear. Logically, it would go to Jonathan. He is the son of Saul. I wonder if Jonathan had heard what Samuel had said. When Samuel confronted Saul on a couple occasions and says, you know what? The kingship is not going to pass to your sons. It's done with you because of your disobedience. I don't know. Or that Jonathan could see God's anointing, God's calling. The Lord is with David. The Lord has marked him, and he doesn't fight it. Many men would have tried to kill David at this point. This guy's going to take my position. This is mine. It belongs to me. And by taking off his robe, this is the king's son's robe, he's saying, David's going to be the next king. He gives David his weapons. There's only two swords in all of Israel. We already know that from 1 Samuel. And he hands that to David. How cool for David to be able to receive that. He hands him his bow. All of these things are significant. He's laying down his position in order for David to become the next king, the man after God's own heart. This is the epitome of esteeming others better than ourselves. If we were in that situation of Jonathan, do you know how hard that would be to do? Maybe in the workplace, it's becoming evident that there's this new young upstart. And they're going to take your spot. They're going to take your position. And they're going to take your paycheck and all the benefits that go along with it. There's a lot of bennies to being king. You know what I'm saying? And all that's going out the window. All that security is going out the window for Jonathan. He says, I don't care. This is what God's doing. Could, could we get behind that? You know, in ministry, God's raising up someone to take our place in, in ministry. No, God, it's my ministry. Well, wait a second. It's not my ministry. It's the Lord's. He's the head of the church. God, you're, you're clearly raising this person up. Am I going to get behind them? Am I going to lay down my position in order for them to walk in the things that God would have for them? This is hard to do, but think of the joy that Jonathan had. As he walks through this with David and David becomes king, he's going, boy, That's my boy right there. He's got my robe. He's got my sword. He's got my bow. I'm with him. I'm behind what God is doing. And ultimately, this is Jonathan surrendering to what the Lord's doing in this situation. Who else does this point to in Scripture? Jesus. Because Jesus laid down his position so that we could be the sons and daughters of God. So that we could rule and reign with Christ. So we could be joint heirs with Christ. Isn't that phenomenal? How did he lay down his position? He's God. He's at the throne with the Father. He leaves that place, puts on human flesh, all God, all man, robed in human flesh, humiliated, spit upon, crucified. Why? So that we could be joint heirs with Christ. Christ, in the fullness, to the fullest extent, did not come to be served, but to serve and to lay down his life as a ransom for many. I think that Jonathan found the secret of life. It's the way that Jesus taught us to live. Be other-centered. Lay down your rights. Lay down your robe. Lay down your position. Esteem other people's needs better than your own. Jonathan does that in a powerful way. Now we begin to look at the character of David. We've seen the character of Jonathan. We'll see him more as we continue in 1 Samuel. And now we focus on David. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war. And he was accepted in the sight of all of the people and also 
in the sight of Saul's servant. God, when he repeats himself, is doing it for a point of emphasis. We do it all the time as parents, right? Do you repeat yourself as a parent? Your kids will tell you yes. <laughs> My kids will tell you yes. Why, why do we repeat ourselves? For a point of, of emphasis. And in this one passage, God is going to say over and over again that David behaved himself wisely. What does that mean? He's operating in wisdom. It'd be very easy for David to be arrogant. God's used him to just kill Goliath. He's got this position over other warriors now. But the scripture tells us he, he behaved wisely. He's thinking about his actions. He's thinking about the way he's talking. How is he responding to people? And as a result of him behaving wisely, then God gives him favor with people. People begin to accept his leadership. God's beginning to raise him up. And that's a theme in this chapter. David behaves wisely. God's with him. God gives him favor. God raises him up with the hearts and lives of people. And verse 6, now it happened as they were coming home, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines, he goes out with his men, God gives him victory over the enemy, that the women had come out of all of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with the tambourines, with joy and with musical instruments. This is quite a scene. Here comes David, here comes Saul, they've, they've had their victory. And they get out their tambourines and they're singing with joy. And to this day, the Jewish people are great at celebrating, great at their, their dances, and great at having these huge, huge feasts. So this is quite a to-do. This, this is quite the rock concert in our culture, if you would. So the women sang and they danced and they said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Woo! Saul is going to hate, hate, hate this song. And this song is going to become a detriment to David. I'm sure David, when he starts to hear this song in the days to come, is please, please stop. Please stop. Saul can't handle this song. Once you guys start singing this song, he starts trying to kill me. All right? But this is the new song. This is the top hit on all the charts. This is what everybody starts saying. Everybody starts singing. And we see what it does to the heart and life of Saul in verse 8. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, they've ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they've ascribed only thousands. Now, what more can he have but the kingdom? A little foreshadowing there. Saul doesn't even realize it. David will have the kingdom. This is a life that is dominated by anger. Dominated by anger. He gets very angry. He could have had the response that his son had, that Jonathan had. God's doing something here. God's already told him, because of his compromise, that he's going to lose his position. But God never said to Saul that he was going to lose his relationship with God. That was Saul's choice. God's always open and available for repentance. Amen? Are we in agreement on that? that? That's what God teaches about his character and his nature. And instead of Saul getting angry and very angry and acting out of this anger, he could have gotten right with the Lord and got behind what God was doing. Right after the anger, if you notice in verse 8, what comes along? There's jealousy. 
He's saying, they're ascribing to David that he's killed 10,000 and only to me uh, 1,000? They've got this all wrong. They've got the wrong hero. They're giving all the attention to David. The attention should be upon me. Church, jealousy is very dangerous and never underestimate it. It will destroy your life. It'll rob God's glory. It'll blow up other people's lives. If you're wondering about how powerful and destructive jealousy can be, look at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Why were they so angry at Jesus? Why were the religious leaders upset to the point of killing Christ? Because they were jealous. Jesus was the one that everybody was talking about and nobody was talking about the religious leaders and they could not stand it. And that's exactly what was taking place with Saul. It's driving him nuts. It's driving him crazy. And this jealousy comes over him. How do you handle it in the work setting? Someone starts to do better than you. They come in, they're, they're really gifted. Everybody starts talking about them. And you're like, hey, wait a second. I've been here 10 years. This guy's been here 10 minutes. This gal's been here 10 minutes. They don't know anything, you know? I bet they'd have a hard time spelling if it, there wasn't autocorrect, you know? Start finding all these reasons why they're so terrible and we're, we're so awesome, but, and all, but what it really comes down to is we're jealous, aren't we? We're jealous of the attention that they're getting and we want that attention and that's creeping into the heart and life of Saul. What if, what if he would have nipped these things in the, the butt Yep, I just said but right there. What if he would have gotten a hold of these things before it goes to attempted murder? Because that's where it's headed in a few more verses. What if he would have been like, man, I'm so ticked off. I'm so angry. I'm furious. That reveals something that's wrong with my heart. I need to get right with the Lord. I'm so jealous. Why do I have to have all of this fame? Why do I have to have everybody talking about me? I need to get right with the Lord. I left my relationship with the Lord a long time ago. If we see Saul in our character tonight, even just a little bit, if we find ourselves operating in anger, we're angry all the time, that says something about our heart. That says something about our life. And anger that goes unchecked and unrepented of always leads to more sin. It always leads to more destruction. You don't just stay in this place of very angry. Isn't that true? Very angry then leads to something else. Very angry is put the brakes on and start to examine what's, what's going wrong. Jealousy, if our hearts are consumed with jealousy, that's not of the spirit. In James, the book of James, it tells us that there's a, a wisdom that's from above that David's operating in. He's behaving wisely. But there's also a wisdom from the pit of hell. It's demonic, it's satanic, it's, it's from Satan. And one of the things that he uses is jealousy. It's listed right there for us. So if, if I'm operating in, in jealousy, I'm taking one of Satan's cards. I'm taking the bait, I'm falling for what God would not want and desire in my life. It's important to stop and examine. Verse nine, so Saul eyed David from that day forward. And this is not eyeing with Kindness. This is not eyeing with, man, I really appreciate David. This is the, I'm going to get you. I'm going to kill you. You're, you're on my list. 
He's looking for every opportunity to destroy David. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon him and he prophesied inside the house. So this is just one of those things that's just crazy, you know? This distressing spirit that's from God, God is giving him this distress as judgment and Saul begins to prophesy in the house but he's in this terrible spiritual condition. So David played music with his hand as at the other times but there is a spear in Saul's hand. Remember, David's the musician that's called in to play the harp to worship to calm the heart of Saul. This would happen many times but something's different today and it's what's in Saul's hand. Huh, he's got a spear. And I wonder if David looks into the eye of, of Saul and he could see, man, something is clearly not right. And he keeps gripping that spear and looking at me. And gripping that spear and looking at me. I'm gonna play a little faster. I'm gonna play a little faster. <laughs> Saul goes for it in verse 11. And Saul casts the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. And this is when Saul goes homicidal. Goes homicidal. This isn't premeditated murder. It's not thought through because it's absolute foolishness. If he succeeds in killing David at this point, what's that going to mean for Saul? How is he going to explain that to everyone and explain it to the kingdom? I just killed our champion who God used to defeat Goliath. I just killed the one that has the, the people's favor. This is pure rage that's gone out of control. He didn't plan this. He's having those thoughts of hatred and anger going through his heart and mind. I hate this guy. I hate this guy. I hate that song. I hate that song. Uh, uh, uh. And then it just blows up. And he throws his spear. How many murders have happened that way? How many acts of violence to a loved one have happened that way? It wasn't planned out. It wasn't premeditated. It was anger gone unchecked. It's jealousy building up, and it overflows with throwing the spear. So we have to examine, am I a spear thrower? And that's hard. That's hard to take a look at. Go, well, I don't kill people, but maybe we kill people with our words. Maybe we're really good at throwing those arrows, and we let it fly. And we go through our lives letting people have it right and left and the spirit of God saying, yeah, that's you. You're one who throws spears. That's what defines your character. Notice what is not said in verse 11, but is very true, is David didn't pick up the spear and throw it back at Saul. He didn't return evil for evil. We already know that David's a good shot. I don't think David would have missed he could have picked up that spear and let Saul have it and solved this for himself. So David's character is one who refuses to return evil for evil and lets God deal with the Saul in his life. God in his love for us, at times, will have a preordained Saul to define and refine our character. And we're going, thanks a lot, God. Like I needed a Saul in my life. God's doing something in David. And one of the things that makes David a great man is he never asserted himself to the authority of being king. He allowed God to put him in that position. He allowed God to deal with Saul, 
This will not be the last time that Saul tries to kill him, nor the last time that David has an opportunity to take care of Saul on his own. But he says, Lord, this is yours. I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. You're going to have to deal with Saul. I'm not going to return evil for evil. We're going to have opportunities to practice this this week. You will come across a really bad driver probably this week. And it's just a little mini Saul. Just a little, just a little mini. Nothing compared to this. But when it comes to the rules of the road, they threw a spear at you. And then you saw the RMC sticker on their car. Right? Like, it is on. Okay, they just threw a spear at me. How am I going to respond? Am I going to throw it back? Am I going to gate them? Am I going to flash my lights at them? Go around in front of them? Cut them off and slow down? You know, all those things. Man, those are real temptations. I don't know about for you, but they are real temptations for me. Oh, there's Pastor Eric. He's losing it on the highway. You know? So we need to remember this when that happens. Okay, God, this is a preordained Saul in my life. How am I going to respond? Am I not going to throw the spear back? Begin to pray for him. It's really hard to get angry at someone and return evil for evil when you're praying for them. God, I don't know what's going on in their life. They seem like they're in a big hurry. At the very least, Lord, would you help them to drive more safely because they're going to hurt somebody else or themselves. Lord, would you work in their life? And all of a sudden, some of the anger starts to let go. Did David cry out to the Lord in this moment? That was a close one. David's a man. He's a person, flesh and blood. What do you do when someone tries to kill you? Get them back, you know? Call it self-defense. Finish the job. And David has a self-control. He behaves wisely. Don't be a person who returns evil for evil. Don't be a person that throws spears. Don't be a person that throws them back. Think about the cross of Jesus Christ. The only place that we can find this kind of strength is Jesus. As he was crucified, he cried out, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If someone's throwing a spear at me, it's nothing compared to what I've thrown at God. It's nothing compared to the way that I've treated God with my sin, and he has, he's forgiven me. Saul's response is interesting. Now, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but he departed from Saul. Anger, jealousy, fear. Saul's on a bad track, isn't he? Why is he afraid of David? He's afraid of David because David has what he no longer possesses, and that's a relationship with God, and that really scares King Saul. And it's a terrible place to be in. So he's literally in a place of fearing David because he sees that God is with David. David's behaving wisely. The Lord is with him. Verse 13, Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand and went out and came in before the people. Saul's like, I can't deal with this guy. If I keep seeing this pretty boy in front of me, I'm going to kill him. That's that's not going to get me anywhere, so I'm just going to remove him from my presence, send him out to be a captain over a thousand. What does David do? And David behaved wisely in all of his ways, and the Lord was with him. Hear this. You can't control Saul, but you can control how you respond to Saul. 
And you can make the choice through the power of the Holy Spirit to behave wisely no matter what. Would have been very easy for David to feel vindicated and saying, well, all bets are off now. This guy's trying to kill me. So forget behaving wisely. Be, be, forget being godly. But he chooses to continue to walk with the Lord, continue to behave wisely, and God is with him. God is with him. God's with you. Jesus said he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Don't get into that trap. Well, this is how this person's acting, so then I can, I can act this way. Verse 15, therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very light, wisely, he was afraid of him. He just keeps getting more afraid of David. You'd think that David would be afraid of Saul. David's the king. David is the one, or excuse me, Saul is the king at this time. And Saul's the one who's attempting to kill David, but David's not afraid because he's trusting in the Lord. But Saul's life just starts to become consumed with fear. But all of Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. They watched David go in and out and win victories. David's now over a thousand men. They'd go out, they'd have a victory over the Philistine. They'd see David come back in and all of Israel and Judah loved David. God is preparing the hearts of the people to receive their new king. Then Saul said to David, here is my older daughter, Merab. I will give her to you as wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battle. For Saul thought, let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. Wait a second. Hold on here. I thought part of killing Goliath was you got the king's daughter. You remember that? You get the king's daughter if you kill Goliath plus no taxes for your whole family. Remember we were all envious when we read that together? He'd already earned Saul's daughter, but Saul never followed through with his promise. Now he's saying you can have my oldest daughter only for the reason of now saying to David, if you want to marry her, you've got to go fight the Philistines, and hopefully now the Philistines will kill David. Now he's getting more systematic in his murder plot. At first, it was just raw rage. Now he's going, how can I knock David off without anybody knowing that it's me? If the Philistines kill him in battle, no one will know that I put David into this particular situation. What's interesting, when David gets in compromise with Bathsheba, he uses the same game in killing Uriah. You remember that? He puts Uriah in a dangerous situation, and Uriah ultimately gets killed. Verse 18, so David said to Saul, who am I, and what is my life, or my father's family in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king. Humility of David, he could have easily said, I've already earned this. I already killed Goliath. Well, what do you mean I've got to go fight more battles? But it happened at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David that she was given to Adriel, the Meholehite, as a wife. <laughs> Saul's like, well, you see her? You've earned it? She's your wife? No, not really. I'm going to give her to someone else. Total bait and switch. Now, Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. So Saul has several daughters, and, and Michael actually loves David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. So Saul said, I will give her to him that she may be a snare to him. So apparently she was quite a handful. It's like, yep, sure enough, you can have Michael. She'll, she'll be a snare to you. 
and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall be my son-in-law today. So, okay, you can have Michael, but here's the deal. You've got to go fight some more Philistines. This is some colorful language that's going to come upon us here. And Saul commanded his servants, communicate with David secretly and say, look, the king has delight in you and all of his servants love you. Now, therefore, become the king's son-in-law. Wow, Saul has a really weird way of showing his delight in, in David, doesn't he? Yeah, he? He really likes you. He really delights in you. Is that why he keeps throwing his spear at me? Gets this crazy psycho look in his eyes. You've probably figured this out in life. Don't believe the first person that comes up and says, I, I delight in you. You're really great. You're the best thing since sliced bread. That's probably not how they really feel. In verse 23, so Saul's servant spoke these words in the hearing of David, and David said, does it seem to you as a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing I am poor and lightly esteemed? And the servants of Saul told him, saying, in this manner David spoke. David seems in his youth to being having a hard time seeing the true colors of Saul. Even though Saul has, has tried to kill him, in his heart of hearts, he's like, man, I want Saul to be a good guy. He's my king. It'd be so cool to be his son-in-law. It'd be so awesome to be married to, to his daughter. And deep down, I think that that's how we feel and look towards our leaders. It's, it's how we feel towards our parents, right? It, it's, we, don't, we don't want this to, to actually be true. I'm very thankful God's given me wonderful, very, very godly parents. You know, if, if you have parents that are acting in a similar way to, as Saul, it's hard to own up to that and say, man, my, my parents are really not acting in a godly way. And, and it seems like David's having a hard time coming to the music with the character of Saul. So verse 25, then Saul said, thus you shall say to David, the king does not desire a dowry. So David, you don't have to pay any money to, to marry my, my daughter. With having three daughters, I think that we should fully institute the dowry. Bring, bring that back in the culture. You know, in the future, if dudes are serious about marrying my daughters, it's like, well, you bring some money to the table. You know what I'm saying? These girls are valuable. The, the king does not desire any dowry, but 100 foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. Really planning this out. Now you've got to go get 100 foreskins. If you're a parent of a junior high student, high school student, elementary age students, they're studying 1 Samuel 18 tonight. So if they come ask you what foreskin is, you know why, because we went through this. So just to, just to warn you. Now I'm sure in the elementary ages, they will probably uh, skip over this, this verse and, and save you some pain and some, some difficulty. But you may want to have this discussion with them. So that's our gift to you this weekend. <laughs> Verse 26, so when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. Now the days had not expired. Therefore David arose and went, he and his men, and killed 200 men of the Philistines. He's an overachiever. He goes above and beyond the call of duty, doesn't kill 100, kills 200 Philistines. Check this out, and David brought their foreskins. This is just gross. Yeah. He brings it right, right to Saul. You asked for it. Here they are. 
Notice what happens. And they gave them in full count to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him Michael, his daughter, as a wife. They begin to count out the foreskins. One, two, three, four. You asked for 200 or 100, I'm giving you 200. This is a painful chapter. Thus Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David. So you're seeing this emphasis. It's happening over and over in this chapter. Saul's getting more angry, more afraid, more jealous. But David's behaving himself wisely. The Lord is with him. The Lord is with him. God is giving favor. And Saul sees it for himself. Once again, Saul could respond to what he's seeing in the appropriate direction. We all have that opportunity no matter the condition of our hearts tonight, repentance is always an option. And Saul was still more afraid of David, so Saul became David's enemy continually. The third time that fear is mentioned in Saul's heart and life. Now David is his enemy continually. Saul can't get it off of his mind. Then the princes of the Philistines went out to war. And so it was, whenever they went out, that David behaved, here it is once again, more wisely than all of the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. Fourth time that we see that David is behaving more wisely. Notice this time he's behaving more wisely than all of the servants of Saul. For God's glory, take that challenge. In your workplace, say, how can I behave more wisely for God's glory? Don't lower the standard. Allow God to, to raise the standard. If you're a high school student, a college student, how do, I behave, how do I behave wisely? Amongst the people of God, how do I behave wisely? How do I have godly character in the midst of this situation? Character sketch of these three men. Jonathan, he's willing to reach out. Are we willing to reach out? Laying down his rights for the rights of others. He's others-centered. David, behaving wisely. The Lord was with him. God placed favor upon David's life. Get your eyes off of Saul. It can be all-consuming. God's got Saul. Let God deal with Saul, and you choose to walk with the Lord and behave wisely. Then there is the character of Saul. He's angry, he's jealous, and he's afraid. We have the opportunity to come to the communion table tonight. The worship team's going to come back and, and lead us in worship, reflect upon who Jesus is, the bread representing his broken body, the cup representing his shed blood. Have time with the Lord. And then ask the Lord to reveal your character to you. That God would reveal my character to me. And don't come having it all wrapped up. Don't come having it already determined and preconceived. This is my character. Say, God, would you show me the areas of my heart and my life that is like Saul? God, would you show me if there's a way that I'm like Jonathan or a way that I'm like, like David? Are you challenging me in a, in a direction that comes right from Jonathan's life, right from, from David's life? And if there's a need for repentance, why wait? Why wait? What, what if Saul would have repented? What if we would have seen, oh, I got this all wrong. My heart is so hard. It's in the wrong place. God, forgive me. And the power of the resurrection, that Jesus died, that he rose again. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He saved you. He changed your heart when he saved you. And he's still in the business of changing hearts.
but it's us, up to us to, to repent. It's up to us to say, God, change my character. Make me more like you. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, as we come and take communion, God wants to save you. God wants to bring you into a relationship with him. What separates us from God is our sin. Sin is when we lie, when we steal, have lustful thoughts, angry thoughts, even our thoughts and the intents of our heart is sin before a holy God. And God in his love sent his only son, Jesus, to die upon the cross, rise again, that those who repent and believe are saved. Repentance is a 180. It's a change of mind, a change of direction. I realize I'm a sinner. I'm turning from my sin, and Jesus saved me. Be the Lord of my life. As we take communion tonight, there's going to be a ministry team on the side. If you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior, you hear God knocking upon the door of your heart and life, you come, and we'd love to pray with you. If you've got questions, you're, I don't understand this. I, I need to ask somebody some more questions about Christ. We would love to attempt to try to answer those. So let's pray and let's move into this time of communion together. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the life of Saul, David, and Jonathan. And as we come to the communion table and we look at you, Jesus, would you expose the area of our hearts that need to be revealed? And as we look at who you are, Jesus, that we would be changed from glory to greater glory. So have this time, minister to our hearts. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name.